The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The 2021 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory record, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance experts Gene Chatsky. Presented by Edelman Financial Engines. Ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here are Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. everyone. I'm Soledad O'Brien and Happy New Year. Welcome to Everyday Wealth. Hi everybody. I'm Jean Chatsky. Happy New Year to you, Soledad. I am so excited to be here with you and jumping into this brand new show dedicated to helping you build, grow, protect and preserve your wealth so that you can enjoy it along the way because that's what it's all about. The New Year is my favorite holiday because I like a clean slate and I think kind of January 1st lets you like forget last Last year, forget all those mistakes. We move forward this year with new strategies, which of course is what our show is going to be all about, how to help people think about their their money. Their, you know, I think we often think about wealth as like, what's the number in your bank account? But wealth is about your values and living mm-hmm. your values. And is your money enabling you to do that, right? We'll come back to the point that Money is a tool that we use every single day, which means we got to be comfortable with it. We've got to be confident in the choices that we make. We have to get help when we need help to make those choices. But so often we just shy away from these conversations. People don't want to talk about money. How do you think that is? Why is money an awkward conversation? Because it is amazing to me the number of times that people who should be having straightforward discussions about something that's so important in how they're going to live their lives and either they don't do the things that they should be doing like you know maybe life insurance would be a good idea (laughs) having a will totally recommend that but also they don't even want to have the conversation why is that part of it's the way that we were raised you know people told us oh you don't ask how much somebody paid for their house you don't talk about how much you make it's rude The point is, it's not necessarily about the number. It's about crafting this life that you want to craft. And yeah, you need numbers in order to do that. You need strategies in order to do that. But you also have to be able to just vocalize the dream. What it is, what do you want? What do you believe in? Where are you going to put your resources to work? And you got to do it every single day. That's why I love the title of the show. That's why I love the fact that we're diving into this new program that will tackle using your resources at all of the different inflection points in your life. I think because we don't talk about, like, drill down specifically, talk about some of the ways to think about how your money can really help you live the life you want to lead. You make mistakes. I mean, I came to the show by kind of a big mistake. Uh, you know, my, my parents, um, you know, the last few years of their lives were, were, were challenging. It was very chaotic. Uh, and they didn't outlive their money, which I think is often the biggest fear. But 
they had six kids. We didn't really help them plan for like how they wanted the end of their life to go. Just to be blunt, my parents died. Um, they passed away about two and a half years ago, so pre-pandemic. Um, but, you know, they had they bought a house as, as immigrants to this country. They were able to save and buy a house. They were solidly middle class people. Um, put six kids through college and, and a couple through law school and a couple, you know, a couple through med school. Like they made good financial decisions along the way. They were able to retire. They really kind of had it together. But the last sort of portion where we had to figure out how do we get involved in their bank accounts? How do we think about how to pay for nursing homes or is it going to be living at home? And if it is, what, how big is your house and where does a nurse's aid sleep? All those things are part of what your life looks like that is going to be undergirded by how you've strategized about your money, frankly. Well, and these sorts of stresses, and I'm sorry about your parents, by the way, um, they sound like they had a tremendous relationship. Soledad mentioned before we got on the air that they died within 40 days of yeah. each other. I mean, your parents were the notebook, which yeah, is just, they just were very, amazing. They were very in love, so they were not sticking around without the other <laughs> one uh, on the planet with them, but thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, but these stresses, they hit us so often. It's not just death it's divorce it's birth of a child it's good stresses that have to have financial solutions we're going to talk about all of those i mean you and i have been talking about money for gosh i don't even want to <laughs> say <laughs> i don't even want to say how long because long my financial life imploded in my 20s and my therapist would tell you that i came around to a career in finance because i wanted to fix what was going on so I started reporting on finance. I've never stopped. I think it's fascinating talking about real people and their real money. And I think it's really important to talk about solutions. And I'm so happy that this show is going to be solution focused. And we're going to do that with the help of planners from Edelman Financial Engines. Like Jason Cowens. He's a financial planner. Hi, Jason. Nice to see you. Good morning. So okay. tell, tell us how you came to being a financial planner. So my backstory was uh, I've been a planner now for 20 years, and before that I was a high school math teacher. Oh. And, and what ended up happening is as I was teaching... And you I hated students, and you quit. Love the kids. <laughs> always love the kids, right? The copy machine, different story. But <laughs> the way it worked for me was my own advisor, when I was using my Roth and my TSA and my 403B, as we were having our conversations, he was the one that said, you know what, I think you'd be really good at being a stockbroker. And at the time, I didn't even know what a stockbroker was because... Ultimately, he was my basketball buddy. So we'd be sitting on the side of the courts having our financial conversations next to each other. So I had no idea what that scope meant. But what he helped me see was what you want to do is get trained by a big company, let them teach you, and then move on. And I was fortunate that I had good training. I didn't like the way the original company had me engaging clients. It felt very transactional and it wasn't true to who I was. And so my wife said, stop doing this to yourself. Find how you want to communicate with clients and, and make it that way. And so I was very fortunate to, over time, build my own practice, come here and continue to do the handholding that our everyday clients need. What I think is so interesting about this is the teacher element. Your father was a college professor. My father was a college professor. Teachers make the best financial planners. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Because it's all about the relationship i mean it's not really about the numbers it's nice that you have a facility with math and yes. and i i am a big math geek from my high school days right. but 
it's about the dream. It's about what do you want and how do we help you get there? Jason, right. how long have you been working with Edelman Financial Engines? So I helped open up the Arizona office almost 11 years ago. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and Gene, what I like what you said is, I've tried to do my best to turn off my left brain because a lot of our conversations are about that right brain, the hopes, the dreams, the fears, the numbers support how good or bad that plan's gonna work. But when we're sitting down with clients, our role as planners is, I need to hear what's keeping you up at night. Let's find that solution together. Have you found in the wake of the pandemic that people are literally calling you up and saying, hey, listen, everything's changed. I'm rethinking everything. Yes, <laughs> yes, because it's a whole new reality, right? I had one client who told me, you know, the pandemic has taken two years from my life. I'm retiring early to get those two years back, right? Wow. How old's that person? 62. Oh. Huh. Right. Yeah. And that's happening a lot. I mean, we're going to dive into a number of topics each week on this show. One of the ones I'd love to get into today is what everybody's calling the great resignation, although I think it might deserve a couple of different names. But are you hearing from client upon client that they are leaving their jobs or that their jobs have left them? A little bit of both. And the reality is like I I had one incident where a client was 55 and he was just done with corporate America. And he said, Jason, I need to be out by the, the end of the year. Well, this was two weeks before Thanksgiving, so <laughs> no pressure. No Jason. pressure, right? So I, I said, let's let's have a realistic conversation, right? Tell me why you want to leave. Tell me, explain to me what's going on with your job. Could you make changes? Could you make tweaks? I really need to go. What is the heart of your reason to get out? Because I'm fearful that the money is not going to be around for as long as you think it needs to be. Hmm. Fifty-five is very young to think about not working for the rest of your life, right? I mean, when we're talking about retirement, when our parents did it, maybe they would live into their 70s. Now we're talking about living into your 80s, your 90s to 100. Right, and that's the unfortunate reality, that your age is relative. So really, the longer you live, the longer you will live. And having that conversation that if you're going to make it to 55, I have to worry about the money lasting 30, maybe 35 years potentially, given your family history, your longevity, your health, things like that. I want to hear all the the questions you had for your client. I'm going to call him Bob just to make it easier. So, Bob, Bob. Uh, I want to hear what you, the advice you had for him and, and what you you. It's a guy, right? Correct. Um, so what what. What you needed to hear from him to advise him thoughtfully about his next steps. We're going to take a short break and keep talking about the great resignation, which I like to call, for some people, the big fat opportunity landing in your lap. (laughs) I I think post-pandemic, for a lot of people, it feels like it's a new day. And it is a new day because it is a new year as well. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. More on the Great Resignation when we come back. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and guest host, Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner, Jason Cowens. We are back on Everyday Wealth. Gene Chatsky with Soledad O'Brien and from Edelman Financial Engines, Jason Cowan. So, Jason, we were talking about Bob before we went to break. And I got to say, I love that you called him Bob Soledad. My stepfather, who we just lost, was Bob. Oh. And 
we got him a T-shirt that we actually bought out of one of those airline magazines <laughs> that, that said, of course I'm right, I'm Bob. Of course. Of course. And let's just assume that your Bob didn't have all the answers. Okay. He comes to you. He wants to retire at 55. What specific questions do you ask him? What pieces of information do you need to figure out if this puzzle will actually it together or if it's a recipe for disaster well and i try and take the, the personal element of his story so bob is this a situational thing or are you calling it quits quits because that's a big difference right and from his perspective he said no i don't want to work ever again i don't plan to work i'm done okay with that as a backdrop i said now i need to look at your budget because i need you to look at what are your all-in expenses mortgage hoa taxes internet bill car payments um are you helping your parents Right. Really looking at what your true outflow is, because I've had enough conversation with Bob that I was fearful that he was not going to have the means to do that. So I want to start fresh. I want you to look at your expenses. I want to go line by line and see, are we missing something that you're not thinking of so we can have this conversation? Is this a realistic journey? Once I had the numbers, it's an idea of now let's look at where is this money that you're going to be coming? Because at 55, you're a long way away from even thinking about Social Security at 62. What other sources of income do you have? I know that you don't have any. So now we're looking at the bulk of his wealth was in his IRA. So now we have to come to the conversation of, if you're gonna be tapping into your IRA at that young of an age, you're looking at penalties, you're looking at taxes, right? All that matters. So if you can't touch your IRA, what other sources do you have? Can you look at downsizing your home? Is there some equity you can tap into? Uh, Bob was of the opinion that if things got worse, he'd just move to Costa Rica and start fresh. Well, <laughs> is, that re- I mean, is that realistic? Have you spent time in Costa Rica? So really going through that line of questioning to say, I need to know the inflows and outflows. And I know it feels like a pain in the butt to ask these questions, but you're talking about a decision that's going to last the rest of your life. Well, and those expenses are likely to change, right? I mean, there are a lot of unpredictable expenses that we don't know are coming our way when we're 55 years old, right? Right. Particularly related to healthcare. I mean, we we can put a pin in when we're likely to pay off the mortgage and when the kids are likely to go through college if they're on the four-year plan and not the six-year plan. But there's a lot that we just don't know. How much of your job, Jason, is to be a therapist? I mean, because it sounds like <laughs> like as you do the retelling of Bob's story, it's so emotional. <laughs> it is. Like, right. Even as a, like the trip to Costa Rica is yes. very emotional. And I'm always, I mean, 55 to me feels like, I mean, I'm 55. It feels like I'm at the height of my burn, right? I've got kids who need to be financed for some stuff and some in college, some uh, just in school. I've got uh, parents uh, recently who, you know, just passed away recently, but up to a certain point I was helping them. Siblings, friends, there are nonprofits I want to support. I feel like this age, the 50s, is kind of where you're like running through the most of your money. And that was him. Like he's, you know, he's good at his job, well paid. And so it's like, how do you walk away from that? Because he was frustrated, right? If you don't love what you're doing, it's killing you slowly, right? And I, I got that. So that therapy role is, and my thing is when you come to our office, sit down with a planner here, it is a very intimate conversation that it's the, we want to encourage the clients when they can do well. But at the same time, we have to sometimes be the dream killer and we have to be able to say, I, I know you hope this plan works, but hope is not a plan. 
hope is not an investment strategy. Exactly, that's yes. one of my that's one of my money rules. Let's pause Bob for a second and let's talk about Stella. Okay. okay. And and Stella is Bob's colleague and she was retired not of her choice. Right. There are a lot of people coming through this pandemic, coming through the great resignation who really didn't resign. Their jobs quit them. How do you handle that? And unfortunately, it goes back to that therapy session. It's like we have to talk about that grieving pattern on. I know this wasn't your choice. Let's find the solution. Do you still have a skill set that you could work for somebody else at a reduced pay to supplement your income? Are there other things we can be looking at, other sources of income that are, you know, maybe that gig job. Maybe you had a part-time job of starting your own company. So really looking at the alternative solutions that if you didn't want to leave and you think you still have some more years to work, let's find that job, that passion project that we now can say you're not destitute. Let's find that happy medium. The data says that 72% of people plan to work in their retirement, but actually the people who actually do work in retirement, that number is 30%. And you've talked about sort of the options. There are four options, I think you've said, that people can sort of maneuver around. What are those options? So the four options, I mean, that's the beauty about There's no magic book. There is choose to work longer. There is choose to spend less money. There is choosing to invest more aggressively. Or there is uh, choosing to save more. Or some combination of those four. And finding that that optimum strategy, for example, you know, most pilots are forced out at 65. So if we take away that one component, we're now down to three options and finding each client's particular no-go versus go strategies in those four is how we help them find that balance. Well, and there's some danger in some of those strategies too. I mean, when you talk about investing more aggressively, the hair on the back of my neck <laughs> starts to stand up because if people are already investing in a way that makes sense for them, if their asset allocation, their balance of stocks and bonds has already been set intentionally, age-appropriately, goal-related appropriately, saying, hey, I'm just going to dial up the heat a little bit and get a little more aggressive, that can be a recipe for danger, Absolutely. right? So we got to look at, at what we can control. And even, I, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm 57, so I'm a little bit older than you and certainly much older than Jason here. But personally, I think that this idea of figuring out a way to just keep a little bit of income flowing so that you can put off pulling money out of your retirement accounts as long as possible so that you can bridge yourself to Medicare makes the most sense. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing that that spend down early hurts the most. Right. Because the unfortunately, the longer you live, the more money you need in those later years. And like Soledad's story about her parents and their their cost of care at the end. And so that's what we have to say of those four components. It may not be today that we're building out for it's do we need to worry about you being self-insured for in-home care or do we look at a long term care policy? We have to find how do we mitigate those 20 year numbers, not just the five year numbers. But cost of care at the end was insane. Right. It was insane. And also, I think people don't calculate. I mean, Bob, does he have kids? Does he have, uh, is he married? Like, does he have someone? Because you actually also can impact the people near you and how much they're able to earn. Because maybe he could rely on his, his wife's or his partner's savings as well. Right. And so Bob, in this situation, single. So 
he doesn't have someone he's particularly trying to leave the money. So the, the running joke is, you know, if the last check you write bounces, it's a win, right? That's, <laughs> right? I hate that joke. I know, but that people say that to me. Though. So I try to find that, hey, we have to think about all these different potholes along the way that just dying with zero is not a goal. We have to worry about that cushion of cost of care. Let's bake that in now, right? If I know that in Bob's situation, his father's still alive at 92, Ooh. more than likely, Bob, you're going to live past 92. Mm-hmm. And really, it, and most people say, I don't want to live past 92. You may not have that choice. I do. Right. Uh, listen, I'm I'm happy to be the Betty White of TV news and get to a hundred happily. Right. I, yes, but I don't want to run out of money. Well, and you don't want to be unhealthy, right? And it right. goes it goes hand in hand. We're going to talk about that. But one of your levers, Jason, was spending less, and that is getting a little bit harder these days. Inflation is raging, like we haven't seen it for thirty years thanks in part to some of the stimulus that's in the economy from the pandemic. We're going to dig into that as we come back for our next segment. But before we do, I know there are a lot of people out there, Jason, who are just thinking, yeah, I'm Bob. I need some help. Where do we go? Visit our website at planefe.com to download our free PDF on 10 questions to consider before you retire. But certainly, they can feel free to call our office at uh, 833-PLAN-EFE, and they can get connected with a local planner in their area. Do it before you move to Costa Rica (laughs) (laughs) with no plan. (laughs) Please. (laughs) We'll be right back. With award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky when we come back. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Everyday Wealth. I'm Soledad O'Brien, along with Gene Chatsky. And Jason Cowens is joining us. He's a financial planner with Edelman Financial Engines. Nice to see you, Jason. Thanks for talking with us. We should mention that uh, Jason is our guest on this show. But we're going to be rotating through and having conversations with guests who are financial planners uh, from Edelman Financial Engines and also uh, guests who are experts in their field to talk a little bit about understanding what's happening in the economy, what's happening in the market, what's happening in our daily lives. You know, there's so many of these topics that I think are intimidating to people. And it's always our goal on this show to just break it down. You should not leave this show with more questions than answers. You had mentioned, Gene, that the conversations we're having now about inflation, which is what, 6.2% or something in October numbers? Yeah, 6.8% in November. It's still going up. We also uh, got a number from the producer price index, which are wholesale goods, closer to 10%. I mean, we're seeing this most often at the pump. I think gas prices are how most people register inflation. Gas prices are up about 60% from where they were a year ago. And, you know, you drive past your favorite gas station. They have it out there front and center. You you see it. You feel it. And and we're all feeling these prices. I'm, I'm wondering, Jason, for you, as you have these conversations with your clients, are you factoring in the point that things just cost more and they're likely to cost more going forward? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I try and warn clients that, quite frankly... Market volatility may not be the enemy you need to worry about. It's inflation, mm-hmm. right? And so looking at this rising inflationary number, we have to have an idea of 
is this going to continue year by year or is there going to be some pullback? So when we're doing our annual reviews, I want to know what you're spending today versus last year. Because like you said, food, pump, my younger clients were renting. Tell me what costs that are actually going up so I can say, I know theoretically we put some historical 2.5% number in our modeling, but that's not today. Let me know what your real non-theoretical spending so we can go back and go, does this mean you have to work till 66 instead of 65? What are the things we can talk about earlier or going back to those four components? How do we address that in your actual spending? When you look at uh, what's causing uh, inflation and you mentioned stimulus money is one thing, um, certainly the pandemic uh, as as well. And the fact that the economy basically shut down, um, you know, with the last two years, are experts predicting that we're going to see that number kind of go back to that 2%, 2.5%. Eh, I'm, yeah. eh. I'm giving you the eh sign here. Guys, that was that. not a lot of positive <laughs> feedback <laughs> I'm getting in this room. I was like, I thought you guys were going to say, yes, we're going to be as soon as the economy is roaring again. So you think that it's possible that we're looking at a higher levels of inflation than we've seen historically? I don't know that we're looking at higher levels than we're seeing right now. Mm. So the word that we've heard the Federal Reserve use is transitory. That means it's temporary. But both uh, Jay Powell and Janet Yellen have backed off that word lately. In fact, they've they've sort of made it a point that we are not going to use that word anymore. And what we can take from that is that inflation is likely to settle back down, but it's not likely to settle back down to that 2% that we've been seeing for a little while. We know wages are going up. So are the fact that wages going up helping a lot with inflation? I mean, or is inflation outpacing that rise in wages? I think if you look at the reality of businesses, no wages are up. And if we can charge 20% more and nobody complains, they keep their prices up, right? Well, and that's how you get into an inflation spiral. And that's what everybody is hoping to avoid. When we saw inflation raging in the 70s, it was as a result in part of that sort of a, a spiral. Companies pushed up prices. People asked for more money to work at those companies. Companies pushed up prices more. And all of a sudden, we had a major problem. To what degree is behavior driving this, right? Because, again, when you talk about that spiral, a lot of that sounds to me like people freaked out. So they run to get those things that they think the supply chain that continues to be compromised, you know, is going to limit. And now you've got everybody running to get something as opposed to saying, well, I'll just wait. I will wait to build my house because you can't get lumber at a reasonable price. Is that behavior that's really pushing that? I think somewhat. We saw it at the holidays, right? We saw this rush to go out and and shop because we were told that things were going to be in short supply. That pushed up prices. I come back to the fact that we've got to control our own personal economies, right? When we look at the economy in general, we look at interest rates. We look at inflation. We look at the prices in the stock market. I would love to be able to do something about all of that. I can do nothing about any of that. What I can do is understand my own behavior, understand my own personal economy, and try to make that work in a way that is going to benefit me as I work toward my goals. Absolutely. And and like you said, it comes down to that, that personal choice that if it's causing you to reduce your savings and your 401k, your outside investments, 
but even that reduced savings still has you on a path that you're not going to have to worry about running out of money. It's okay to have those individual inflationary uh, budgetary things. But at the end of the day, it comes down to are you saving enough for near-term and long-term decisions? What's what's shrinkflation? I was reading the word. (laughs) Shrinkflation is where companies pretend that they're giving you your same 32 ounces or whatever you would normally buy. They shrink it. You get 28 ounces and they sell it to you for the very same price. And it's not just in packaged goods on the shelf. If you've been in an airplane recently, and I know you have, you know the amount of legroom is not what it used to be. That's shrinkflation too. Oh, yeah. I I knew that whole gig. I just didn't realize we were calling it shrinkflation now. And there, you know, there's a lot of sort of terminology, I think, that that goes with this, particularly for millennials and for Gen Z who are experiencing this for the first time. Do you have millennial clients? I do. So I'm very fortunate that I I try to work with like multi-generational families. So when I'm working for my clients, I I look at as their kids are part of the plan. Because if I don't talk about the kids now, I know if that child's going to end up on their couch, we need to fix that today. What's the difference in the conversation that you're having with a millennial? And we should remind everybody, millennials are not super young. I they're mean, not. No. They always are like millennials as no. if they're 20. And you're like, millennials are like going on 40. 40. Yes. <laughs> so what's the difference in the strategy conversation that you have with a millennial as opposed to the millennials mom or dad? Well, when I'm talking to their, to their kids, the millennials, I mean, they've seen basically when they enter the workforce, they've seen nothing but up markets. So they may have an unrealistic number on what they're forecasting. They may be thinking 15% for the next 30 years is realistic. Let's pull that back. You've not seen a down market in your 10-year working period. Let's have a realistic conversation because they are planning to retire earlier. Mm-hmm. And so my job is to go, is that realistic? Right. So when I'm talking to the millennials, it's like, let's check out your FICO score first. Do you have appropriate cash reserves? Do you have disability insurance on yourself? So it's a lot of those early conversations because for them, their savings may not be there, but I know their incomes are continuing to grow. They may have the opportunity to make up for lost times on what they're not saving today. The younger kids, we have to do a more early fundamental planning 101. And they need to understand what's coming down the pike, right? They need to understand that inflation can be daunting. It can be scary. The Federal Reserve is using the tools that it has in its arsenal to bring it down to ordinary levels. But in the meantime, we need to control the things that we can control. Absolutely. And if you are looking to get started on your plan, whether you are a millennial, whether you're a member of Gen Z who's just overachieving, or whether you're closer to retirement, Jason, what would you suggest? Well, the key is they should talk to somebody. If they want to talk to one of the planners here, they can call us at 833-PLAN-EFE. Always happy to help. They should talk to someone, right? Get another set of eyeballs to check, is your goal a reality or do you need to adjust the goal? Right. Yeah. And so if you have concerns about inflation, feel free to visit our website at planefe.com to register for our free webinar on 10 ways to help protect your wealth from inflation. Meantime, as we start 2022, are you making resolutions? Oh, my gosh. I make such a ridiculously long list of resolutions, like no exaggeration. 30 to 40 items. I make like none, so maybe we can meet in the middle. (laughs) We'll discuss both of our resolutions and maybe get a peek at yours, Jason, when we come back. More on 
our financial decisions shape our everyday lives when we come back. Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Everyday Wealth. I'm Soledad O'Brien along with Gene Chatsky. Jason Cowens from Edelman Financial Engines, he's a financial planner, is joining us for this conversation as well. So, as I mentioned, the new year is my favorite holiday. I love a relaunch. And I always make financial resolutions. What do your clients say to you, Jason? I mean, do they come in? Do you find that end of year is a big time for people to come in and wrap up last year and to think about their resolutions, if you will, for the next year? Well, end of year is you know, one of those critical pieces because I call it my Super Bowl. Twelve thirty-one. we have to get a lot of things done. So we're doing a lot of end of year planning. But as I'm talking to clients, we also want to start to say, let's set up a time in early January, February, so we can look at what the homework assignments that you didn't accomplish in 2021 to re-engage. What are the priorities that you should be looking at for starting the new year off fresh? Well, and we're going to be through the whole month of January talking about some really specific tips for people who want to get their financial houses in order. And we're going to start it off by talking about saving, which I love because I think nothing works unless you're saving enough, right? If you're not saving enough, you don't have enough to invest. You don't have enough to do the things that you want. It's the building block and it's not easy for people. There's a lot of research pointing to the fact that saving money is really not a lot of fun, right? We would so much rather go out and spend something because we like that feeling of instant gratification. So how do you make saving fun for people, Jason? Well, what I'd say is let's take out the variableness that is the behavior, right? What we like about the 401k is it's systematic. So you should be looking to max out your 401k, but if you can't, at least get up to the employer match so you can maximize that savings to potentially use some of that extra money to pay down some of your debt. So paying yourself first. Setting up that percentage, you know, at least matching your employer. So if your employer is doing four, try to do four. In my experience, if you get paid 24 times, it's 24 small bite-sized pieces throughout the year that most people are wired to live on their net, so they tend not to miss it. Yeah, if you have the availability to put money into a retirement plan at work. And I think we have to remember that there's so many people who are entrepreneurs these days who work for themselves, who are members of the gig economy. I know you're waving your hand. I'm one too. Right. Right. And we got to do this ourselves. And we we need to apply a little bit of that 401k magic to our IRAs, our Roths, our SEPs, and automate it for ourselves so that it happens that way because otherwise you got to make a good decision to save far too many times. I think there are a lot of millennials, not quite 40, but in their 30s, who might think they don't have enough money to save. You know, they're trying to navigate between they've got some debt, maybe it's student mm-hmm. loans, they're, they're, they know they should be saving for a house, so they, they are sort of trying to put some money away for that. Maybe they have some credit card debt as well. And so when someone says, you know what? great, January, let's talk about saving money. I think they feel pretty tapped out. Right. Well, and it's the idea, and you hit the heartbeat. It's like student loan is initially bad debt, right? Hopefully the degree allowed your income to increase. So let's go back and look at good debt, mortgages, good debt, student loan debt. But if you're cycling through credit cards because the, the Christmas season has you spending more, let's address how are you using credit cards? Are you using it as my income is not sufficient? Let's get you on a path to pay down the bad debt that is the credit card 
and start to look at your savings. So let's redirect the payments to the credit card company to yourselves within your savings. And do it automatically for every goal that you have. I mean, there's something, it's it's not so much about the amount as it is about getting in the habit of doing it. I just went through this with my daughter who is in her first job that has a 401k. She was eligible to sign up. We looked at her paycheck and she's like, mom, I can't. I know you want me to contribute 10%. I can't do that. And I said, okay, let's start where you are comfortable and we'll just nudge it up. So we started lower every time she gets a bump in salary, we're going to look at that and we're going to bump up the 401k contribution to get her to the point where she is maxing out, to get her to the point where she's capturing all of those matching dollars. She's heard me preach it for such a long time. She knows she has to do it, but we've got to live within our reality. And so if you're paying off those student loans, you figure out what the interest rate is that works for you. You may want to look at refinancing. You may want to look at an income-based repayment plan, depending on on what works. But you structure your financial life to make room so that you can funnel some money into the retirement savings, into your account for your house, even if you're starting with very small numbers to begin with. Have you found with your clients that it's hard to build that habit of saving? I'm curious if you, you can really... Is it a habit you can really teach and learn, or is it one of those some people are savers right. and some people are not savers? If you're getting direct deposit into your checking, we can do that kind of dollar cost averaging into your savings. So let's redirect some of your pay into this separate account that you try to pretend there's a hard firewall between your spending and your savings, and we make it automated, right? And so mm-hmm. like your daughter, for example, you know, if she gets a 10% raise, we hope her lifestyle costs don't do the lifestyle drift. Now well, we you got to catch it, exactly. right? It's like a falling knife. You got to catch it <laughs> right. before it, you know, before you blow it. Right. It turns um, into a cute outfit or yes. five. Yes. Exactly. And, and that's why doing that systematic way that you, you're trying to encourage her having different buckets. But a lot of 401ks, they automatically will increase your savings by one or 2%. So you can take yourself out of the equation, mm-hmm. let the system build your wealth for you. And you have to just apply that to your other goals so that they happen. And then my favorite hack is, and it's going to sound a little silly, but I actually visit my savings accounts. And I visit them because I like to see the money adding up. Because that, you know, saving is not fun, but that makes it a little more fun. You get the satisfaction that you're actually doing your your job and you're doing it well. There have been some changes this year that we should clue people into when it comes to those 401ks. The the limits as far as the amount of money that you can put into your accounts have gone up for 2022. So we're at $20,500 for 2022. We're at $6,500 for catch-up contributions. The IRA limits are, are set at $6,000, which is where they've been with a $1,000 catch-up contribution. Right. And so that's the unique thing, making sure clients are going in and saying, what is the new number? And I'm turning 50 next year, so I have to go in my 401k. I have to readjust my catch-up amount. And so being mindful of those numbers, know how it's going to impact your budget to hit that goal is part of that 2022 Let's reset what's going on. What's your situation? Are you maximizing the plan to what you can? Then looking at the other components you'd be saving in as well. I think because it's a habit, it's also a good practice to bring to your kids. Like, you have got to put some of this money away. You have to learn the habit of of saving and also kind of the habit of giving, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think I think philanthropy is a is a habit as well. So any money they get 
a, a piece of it has to go to to give away to philanthropy. You can pick the charity. You can pick who you want to donate it to. A piece of it has to go into the bank that has to be saved, and then a piece of it can be say it can be spent, or you can hang on to it and you know stick it in your wallet for for a, a day that you want to spend it. But I, I think because it's a habit, um, you have to practice it. Yeah, hundred percent. Givers, I believe, are not taught; they're raised. Right. If you are raised to be a giver, you are going to be a giver. Just one piece of hope for the non-resolution makers in our crowd (laughs) like me. There is this phenomenon called the fresh start phenomenon. It it, uh, comes out of research at, at the Wharton School and it basically says you've got a lot of opportunities to make a fresh start. And New Year's is absolutely one of them, but so is the start of every month, the start of every week. A Monday is an opportunity to make a fresh start. And so if you blow your New Year's resolutions by February, you have hope. I have a girlfriend who takes her birthday date. So for me, I was born on September 19th. So the 19th of every month, and that's when I do my monthly assessment of where am I in my resolutions because I make 30 to 40. And, of course, within the second week, I've already, you know, 22 of them are just <laughs> we're not. It's not happening. But then I try to stick to that that somewhere between 8 and 12 that I'm like I'm churning out on every month we check in. I think this is a good thing to add to that. Absolutely. Jason, thank you so much for being with us no, for our inaugural show. This has been um, a pleasure and a lot of fun. You want to tell everybody where to find you? Yeah, so if anyone wants to reach out to us, they can always go to our website at planefe.com. We have a ton of different content there, lots of materials. If they want to reach out in person and find a local planner, the number is 833-PLAN-EFE. And we'd love to hear from everybody out there who is listening. If you have a question, please send it to us at everydaywealth.com. And just a heads up, I've got a podcast called Her Money. Please check it out and join us at hermoney.com for lots of financial resources that apply to women. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Tune in each week to hear fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help you elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, and find our show wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.